podcast where we speculate about a very fictional world using very real science. I'm Justin Frazee, and with me is my wife, Dr. Betsy Schock. Hi, everyone. So I have my PhD in molecular and developmental biology. And I'm more of just an enthusiast of physics. It's a fun subject to me. So today we're going to be talking about magic as sort of a broad subject, what magic means. Yeah, obviously we don't have real magic uh, in our world. So when we're playing in this fictional world, what physical, biological principles are we like drawing upon? What things must exist in order to explain these sort of phenomena in the D&D world? Yeah, I'm looking forward to tackling the illusion problem, which is could you reasonably replicate something that looks good enough to fool someone or would you have to mess with their mind or optic nerve or something like that? Now, when we were originally talking about this podcast, I started thinking about string theory, which provides an explanation to how the physics in our real world could work. But it opens up this huge possibility of all these other types of physics that could work. And that's how I would approach the world of D&D is it, it has rules, it, it abides by those rules, it is consistent, it is just different than our physics. We're not going to be explaining everyone's world or the world, how your world works, but this... Or even the world that we play in for our campaigns. Yeah, but kind of this general idea of how things could work. First up, there's generally two types of magic. There's divine and arcane. And those are, I guess they're both kind of divided into subparts. And those subparts are like shared. But I think, I I would think they would operate in very different ways. Uh, I always think of wizards as like the fantasy version of physicists because they're just studying how the world works and how to manipulate the world. And then you have your sorcerers where your magic is innate. It's not anything that you've studied to learn and like, but at the same time can produce the same result as what a wizard uh, has learned. So the same spells, um, several of them are shared between those two classes. So how do we like rectify that on a um, physical level, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Cause on, on the flip side is divine magic. And you can think of that as like, Oh, it's just, it's, it's power outside of physics. You know, it's, I think a great example is healing where, you know, biologically healing doesn't make a lot of sense, but if it's a divine magic. It also takes time, like the biological healing properties we do have. Um, And yeah, this magic is obviously very quick, like roll your dice in, you are healed at least by this amount of XP. Right. I was, I was going to say healing was relegated to divine, which I think most spells are because like clerics and paladins but now that i think about it, there's good berry yeah for which rangers. is definitely and i would put it under arcane but i think that's a, a good example like maybe the best example of showing like what is the actual differences between arcane magic and divine magic i i don't know if i would spend a tremendous amount of time on divine magic other than like throwing out there it's it can't be something that is completely outside of physics and rules because gods war against each other and that means that because of that, there are some sorts of rules. Not all gods are all-powerful. I don't know if there are any all-powerful gods besides the DM. But uh, 
But I think with that, it's more subject to role bending. Like there are roles that maybe the other classes are more subject to or other types of magic are more subject to versus this is yes, but we're going to go through this loophole or something like that because it is the divine. Um, So playing outside of those rules slightly. Maybe we should just like jump into the different schools of magic and just kind of throw our thoughts and then kind of dive deeper in. So I'll just list the schools of magic real quick. There is abjuration, transmutation, conjuration, divination, enchantment, illusion, and necromancy. So which one of those schools makes you think the most when it comes to like biology or something like Probably necromancy because we're talking about like raising the dead or like dealing things that like physically cause your tissues to like age beyond what they should is at least kind of how I interpret necrotic damage to be. So in that sense, it has a very like cellular impact um, in ways that like divination doesn't, for example. So what what causes aging naturally? So I am not an aging biologist, (laughs) so I will preface that. One thing we think that is important for that is your telomere length. So at the end of your chromosomes are these repeating sequences of DNA and they're enzymes called telomerases that basically function to keep these telomeres a certain length. And as we age, we find that these telomeres are getting shorter. So these enzymes are not able to repair it as efficiently. And part of aging is getting shorter telomeres at the end of your chromosomes. How that functionally uh, like plays into aging, I'm not really sure, but that's at least like one cellular readout and something that's been shown to be relevant for aging itself. When you were talking about that, it made me think, I wonder if necromancy is kind of tied biologically to cancer, if it's mutating DNA that might be like propagating. If you're taking necrotic damage, could you compare that to something like cancerous cells? Uh, I mean, possibly. So you could think of it as like maybe part of necrotic damage is like this very intense blast of UV damage. So like ultraviolet light, what we get from the sun, for example. Um, This is why we wear sunscreen, because it can damage the DNA in your cells. And our bodies have these natural repair mechanisms to hopefully fix the damage, but that is imperfect. So when you get damaged cells, those cells divide, propagate, keep make more damaged cells. And this is kind of one way that cancer can start. So radiation is a great way to kill cells. There are these little worms basically called planaria that have really great regenerative properties. You can cut each piece and cut a whole worm into like, I, at least 12 pieces, but I think they've come up with a minimal amount. Um, And they have stem cells all throughout the organism. And from this tiny piece, you can regenerate um, a whole organism. One way you can prevent that from happening is just throwing a bunch of radiation on these things, which is going to get rid of the stem cells. So then they can't divide. I guess you can kind of think of there's cancer, but then there's also cell death, right? So cancer is going to be cells that have mutated, become bad and keep spreading. And then cell death is obviously cells are dying. Um, So perhaps necrotic damage is something like we're damaging these cells to a point beyond repair. That's fascinating. I think to me, divination is a really interesting school because part of it is just being able to see other spaces. So I'll I'll get back to that. But another thing is part of divination is determining 
things that might happen in the future, which means time flows differently in the D&D world than it would in ours. So we have what is referred to as the arrow of time. Time flows in one direction. And you can time travel, as it were, to the future through acceleration. Like if you get close to the speed of light, you could experience something similar to time travel where your body is aging at what seems to be a a constant rate to you, but the world is aging faster. Uh, And so you could call that time travel to the future, but it's, from my understanding, impossible to time travel to the past. But with divination, you can see something that will happen in the future, which means that In a sense, you can have a vision that goes to the future, receives something, and then brings it back to you in the past. And So we're talking more Doctor Who time. (laughs) Wibbly wobbly. There there are spells like slow time and things like that, which I don't think would break our concept of time. But any sort of spell that you can see into the future is a tell of the way this world works, where time can flow differently. So time is is a, a dimension that can be warped by things like speed or gravity or things like that, but it never flows backwards. So, so somehow in this world, time f- can flow in, in a reverse direction or like in a little loop. Uh, so that that's kind of fascinating to me. But do you think then like there's like more of a physical property to time if it can be changed in that way like i think we think time very abstractly as it's something you it is it can't be interfered with but this has an element to it like i can reach in and touch it basically yeah that kind of brings up the one of the things i thought of when thinking about like how magic works because in our world there's lots of very powerful forces like you know the strong force the weak force magnetic force all that that is out there, but you can't directly manipulate it, right? Now, you could use great machinery or that sort of thing to create effects or find rare things like rare earth uh, magnets uh, would kind of be the equivalent to our world's magic items. Um, but the thing about magic in D&D is you basically can control it with your mind. No matter like what kind of magic you're doing, it doesn't necessarily have to be a mind-themed spell, but you are, are controlling it with your mind, which means there is some sort of connection between the powers of how the world works, the forces, and I think you could draw a comparison to the forces of magic and the for- like particle forces or whatever, the, the forces of physics in, in our world. Um, so there's some sort of connection between the forces and like the mind and... That's kind of an interesting thing to think about of how minds work in D&D and how they can be connected to forces and manipulate them. And I think that kind of draws me personally towards planes, right? So in our world, we have just our plane. Now you can talk about different dimensions and realities, but there none of them are discovered. Now in D&D, there's lots of actual known planes, planes that are, you know, the astral plane. Shadowfell, yeah, there's wild. different material planes that are echoes of each other. I, and then there's like upper 
upper planes and lower planes, the, the ones that are more like divine or like, you know, demonic, and the ones that are more physical, the elemental planes. I would posit that they're the a body in D&D. It resides in a material plane, but simultaneously resides in another plane that touches forces and then can therefore manipulate those forces into the material plane. Almost like Doctor Strange with the astral plane, except you can be present in both simultaneously. Yeah, because it you when you cast a spell in D&D, you create an effect that that you're not physically connected to, right? But you can manipulate it. So there has to be some sort of connection. So in the material plane, if there is only material, then there has to be some sort of connection somewhere. So and on some level, there is there is some strange connection and in an un- immaterial way. So I think we could dive deeper into a different in a different episode. But I, I'm, yeah, I'll just lay that out there. Like somehow magic can be manipulated through your mind. And I would posit that it's probably through simultaneous planar residence. (laughs) With consciousnesses in both? Yeah. So like your conscious would, it would be something like your body is here, but your soul, your spirit or whatever is like in a different plane. It's probably something different than like the astral plane or whatever. But But both your existences are tied. Yeah. So... It's, and that plane wouldn't look like the material plane because like you would be literally connected to- Like quantum entanglement? Yeah, you would be entangled to forces in that plane that you could then manipulate. So resonating at the same frequency or whatever is important for quantum entanglement. Yeah. I'm sure you can expound on that more. Yeah, I, I think quantum entanglement is an interesting thought because obviously that is something that we can do in our physical world. And it's, it's two particles that influence one another at a distance. So maybe that's another way of thinking about it is like you perhaps, yeah, maybe that's a, uh, another possibility is that you entangle yourself with these energies, these particles. So I think particles, instead of breaking down to like quarks, like they do in our world, they break down to elements the elementals like you know fire wind uh so those are actual pieces of how every particle works in D. so perhaps you can entangle yourself to those particles and then influence them at a distance so maybe there's a mix uh, because obviously there's lots of different schools and perhaps the most physics breaking one beyond divination is conjuration because you create matter Something out of nothing and the law of conservation of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Tells us matter can neither be created nor destroyed, only transferred. So is conjuration really conjuration or is it transmutation? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the question you all want the answer to. Keeps you up awake at night. Um, thinking kind of like related to that, like um what type of like components go into a conjuration spell versus divination, transmutation? Like how do the physical elements of the spell, do you think, play into that or do they? That's an interesting question. Let me open my player's handbook, Betsy. Let's look at 
So animate object, I see that right there, is a fifth level transmutation spell. With no material component. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the weird thing about material components is they're weird. There's, I mean, they're, they're more... And if we're honest, most of our campaigns we play, we just ignore them. Well, I mean, like, most of them... I mean, you're supposed to kind of ignore material components unless there's a specific thing that costs gold or it, it consumes. I don't... I, I'd have to... That's an interesting question I think would take more research to see if there's any sort of correlation, like general correlation between different types of spells. But so, anyway, back to our original question about um, the conjuration. Yeah, something out of nothing. And is it really that or something else? Because, I mean... You don't want it to be something out of nothing. That's not the way things work. So it has to be like energy into material. That's what makes sense. Sure. <laughs> in, a, in a physics-based system. You know, besides conjuration is also summoning things. I mean, obviously we can't really do that in our world, but I could see reorganizing energy into particles and matter. Uh, and I guess I'm not super... It's been a while since I've played a wizard... Um, and I'm not super familiar with transmutation. I was necromancy. What's a good example of a transmutation spell? Polymorph. Okay, that makes sense. So you're turning something into something else. And, like, that's really complicated. Because if you're turning an element into another element, that's not as complicated as turning somebody into a different kind of creature physically. Yeah, like, it's weird with... DNA and stuff. You you kind of wonder if instead it's like a swap where your body is being like your mind and your spirit or whatever your your personhood is being swapped from your human body and then a, a different body is is there in its stead and it, so it's not your actual physical body being transformed into that but instead another thing appearing there and you taking its stuff. <laughs> Versus you have a conjuration spell, an old favorite of yours, Grease. Grease. Love Grease. Um, where it just covers the ground. How did it get there? Where did it come from? That that bugs me less than than you know, like some of the transmutation stuff. Because like, well, I guess, I mean, Grease would be a... Grease is a, a complex 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 thing because it's a compound of other things right it's not just like a single element any sort of single element thing is going to be much easier on my brain than like a complex thing but in theory like the elements to make grease exist in the world so it's just a matter of doing some complex chemistry multi-step reactions all at once to synthesize it yeah so the conjurers are really just chemists yeah i mean like besides the step beyond of mage well i mean I'm thinking the step beyond of like, you have to first transform energy into matter and then mix it, which is to me why wizards are always more fascinating than sorcerers because they have to figure it out. Whereas sorcerers are just like, oh, my grandfather banged a dragon and here I am. I don't know. So speaking of wizards and sorcerers, how, how do sorcerers work? They now, do. Now, I think this might tie back into my idea of your spirit existing on multiple planes because if that is the case it makes sense how someone could stumble into causing magic accidentally like wild magic or even draconic because wild magic i'm pretty sure is just like 
someone that just happens to be able to do magic. Yeah, or like there there is some lore behind it. I don't remember the specifics. But yeah, an event in your life occurred to give you this magic. So you, you weren't necessarily born with it, but something happened to bestow magic upon you. I think that's kind of one of the main differences between draconic and wild magic sorcerers, which actually kind of makes it like sorcerer is an interesting case study because one is it is innate, but you're not born with it. And the other one, it becomes like, but it is innate, but you are born with it because it's a, a lineage thing. So how does that manifest kind of thing? And the idea of sorcerers can cast some of the same spells as wizards. So like, does a far is a fireball physically the same from a wizard as it is from a sorcerer? And I think I wasn't sure before, but now ta- kind of talking it out, I think I would go with yes, the magic would be in every way identical. But a wizard has to study in like... Do you think like part of their study is like understanding how to have like better access to that secondary plane version of themselves versus for whatever reason, sorcerers just are connected to them. And so then thus able to manipulate the forces around them. Yeah. So they're, they are studying the elements of the world and learning to manipulate them uh, because they couldn't without knowledge. I guess thinking about this is somehow the forces of nature are closer to to how the world works than it, it is in our world, where, you know, we, we see static shock, but no one's going to produce a lightning bolt out of their hand, right, without tremendous effort. It's interesting, I'm thinking back to the, the material components thought you had, because a lot of material components that I'm familiar with are... Expensive. Well, not, I mean, there's that, but also they are pieces of things that are innately magical. Like your eyelashes for invisibility. <laughs> uh, or the eyebrows. I mean, like, that comes back to necromancy because another part of necromancy is, like, drawing power from, like, the human soul or the, you know, humanoid or the creature's soul, as it were. Um, And so I had a wizard whose name was Edmund, and he was a theoretical wizard. He didn't practice until we started adventuring. And he specialized in necromancy, and so... In my head, I came up with all this different like lore and stuff, like how would he view the world and what he saw was something like necromancy is similar to something akin to a monk's key. It's drawing power from within yourself. So perhaps that is identical, not just similar, but identical because necromantic power is tapping into some sort of energy inside of a creature. And so is keys is reaching in and producing supernatural effects with it. Maybe key is related to like your mitochondria, just like you have, you're able to make more mitochondria. So you got like more energy, more power pack <laughs> punches, more ATP. <laughs> You've mentioned illusion in the past. Yeah. So I think illusion's an interesting type of magic, probably because it's the most relatable to us. The magic that we experience here uh, in this world is illusion, or it's just people being real and like literally stabbing knives through their hands. I mean, that's kind of like the two options. But the fact that there's illusory magic in D&D, I just think is like conceptually interesting because you're in a world where like you could actually like produce those effects. So if you just think of something simple like minor illusion, if you 
make an illusion of a dog appear or something. There are other spells that could just like make a dog appear. A, a physical dog. Yeah. yeah. I just think the concept of that, the more you think about it in D&D is, is, is kind of interesting. And then you have to wonder like, is it just failed magic? Like magic that couldn't go all the way. <laughs> we had this sense of like, it couldn't actually interact with the material in order to manifest. But then it still is somehow able to produce an illusion. You could maybe even think of it differently. Maybe it's more of like affecting like brains and synapses and neurotransmitters are firing. So you see an image that is not actually there. So Um, closer to like enchantment. Yeah, something like that. I don't really know. I hadn't super well thought this idea out, but I think those are kind of two options. It's almost broken and can't quite work or it's actually very different in the way it affects people because it's having an effect on their mind specifically. I I would posit that instead it is just like manipulation of light and instead of a brain perception. But you can also make sound. I mean, yeah. So okay. I guess we could divide it, right? There's, there's both sound and light. And I think sound and both of those things come up with lots of issues. So for example, as an artist, I am a 3D artist that works at a game studio. And one thing you quickly learn as an artist is people are great at at recognizing patterns and things and objects and terrible at replicating them. Uh, you ask a normal person to draw a bicycle, which is a simple object, and they cannot. It yeah, is I could not. They, it is two circles and a few lines and people can't draw a bicycle. But people you can recognize a bicycle easily. Uh, and that's yeah further complicated the more complex an object is and the more familiar people are to it. So the best example of that is a human face where everyone knows when a human face looks weird, looks wrong, like looks artificial, but it's very, very, very difficult to create a believable face. So part, part of illusion is somehow reproducing a thing that you couldn't normally and that's kind of fascinating to me that magic not only in this world creates these effects but also somehow enhances you to be able to do these things to be able to replicate things to be able to create things that you you don't know the complete structure of a thing that you're creating you know down to the molecule but somehow you make it anyway right but anyway beyond let's push past that because that's crazy subject to jump into but i i would say that it's it's for the for the visual parts of illusion it's probably light manipulation and originally i was thinking like oh you could be bending light in a way that you know produces color and and volume but on the other hand you could like can you create illusions in the dark and i think you can so it's I mean, that even goes back to, okay, then you also have to understand how light is bouncing off this object, because if the light's coming from a different direction, then it wouldn't appear physical. You have this completely believable physical looking thing that isn't in fact physical, isn't in fact receiving light. But But then this is like, back to my idea, maybe it is like just messing with like, like your optic nerve. Normally you see you get input light signals from your eye and then your brain is able to interpret that. So if if it's in the dark and you can still have an illusion, then that is one possible way to explain that. It's just manipulation of your cells to make you believe that there is something there. 
the only way you would know, even in real life, could like a camera pick up an illusion? Could we take in a picture of an illusion? What do you mean by an illusion? What you're describing with manipulation and bending of like, if I just took my phone. Oh yeah, I mean, and like if you think about just that. yeah, like I mean, I'm thinking about it in the way of a, a, a perfect prism or something like that, yeah. where it's bending a light, it's splitting a light. You know, you're creating some sort of effect of you know, so light does bend around and through and whatever particles, right? That's how you have glass and and things like that that do bend light. So it's not out of the realm of imagination to imagine being able to manipulate the particles in the air to bend the lights so that you are perceiving something that's not actually there. But it's a really complicated subject to actually think about trying to replicate something that looks physical. And so my question to you would be, if it's something that people are just perceiving in their minds that is not actually there, that if you had a camera, you couldn't capture it. What if somebody is looking that you don't know about? I guess it depends how the spell works. (laughs) That would be a good test. (laughs) Alternately, if you have a blind person who's been blind for their whole life, in theory, the machinery is still there. I mean, maybe not. I guess it depends on like the exact type of blindness, but they should still be able to quote unquote see the illusion if it is something that's just messing with neurons. Yeah. Which is interesting. Which maybe it just gets back to like, maybe we should just look and see what the player's handbook has to like explicitly say about minor illusion and how it affects people. Minor illusion. You can create a sound or image of an object within range. Let's just focus on image instead of sound. If you create an image of an object, such as a chair, muddy footprints, or small chest, it must be no larger than a five-foot cube. The image can't create sound, light, smell, or any other sensory effect. Physical interaction with the image reveals it to be an illusion because things can pass through it. If a creature uses his action to examine the sound or image, the creature can determine that it is an illusion with successful intelligence investigation check. Now, reading this reminds me of like my personal theory of how dreams work, which comes back to the fact that we can't actually replicate things, but we can recognize things. I think dreams, instead of you seeing actual people or things or something, it's triggering the part of your brain that says this object is here. And so you recognize it. And so you think that object is there. You can't. You couldn't replicate it completely if you tried. You couldn't paint it, draw it, sculpt it, whatever. But your brain can say, like, I recognize this object. So you just take it as reality. Which would make sense if it's something like that. If it's just triggering people's parts or creatures' parts of their brains that says, this object is here. Their brain is the thing that would just do the work, all the work for you. Because if you say, this is a bottle to their brain. And the brain's like, I recognize that. That's a bottle. And it's just going to completely ignore it unless they pass something like an investigation check. And they're like, wait, this isn't quite right. Like something in a dream, you try to read the words of a book or something like that. And they, you can't actually read them. And then you realize you're in a dream and you wake up. That kind of makes sense. Illusions. <laughs> they're all in your head. <laughs> Possibly. So I think there's a few other types of magic that we haven't really hit on yet. Yeah, I... I think the one, well, we can still talk about it. I think they're less interesting on a scientific ledger level. So abjuration is just basically protection, like general. It's a very broad term. Um, I think it's things like shield or uh, mage armor, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I can check that real quick. But mage armor, abjuration, yeah. So it's basically like any sort of spell that protects you in a way. Which force (laughs) fields. Yeah, like, I, th- I 
that's not as interesting to me. Um, I think you would have to be very specific and like look at different types. Like what? Okay, so like mage armor. I think mage armor is a classic. What is mage armor? You touch a willing creature who isn't wearing armor, and a protective magical force surrounds it, and the target's base AC becomes 13 plus its dex modifier. This could kind of be like a magnetic force. Yeah, I was actually thinking that. Where it's, you know, I forgot the word of propelling, not propelling, resisting, not whatever. It's just, it's pushing, pushing. away. <laughs> There's a better word for that I can't think of. <laughs> but, which, which wouldn't weigh anything, which made sense that, like, it would still use your decks. But, like, I think Abjuration is kind of like that. You'd have to look at the specific spells to see, like, what they kind of seem like on a physical level. So we, we kind of talked about Transmutation a little bit, um, Conjuration, Divination, which the parts about Divination that aren't related to time honestly don't bend my brain too much. Like, you could, you could think about, you know, scrying as, like, seeing things. You could imagine some sort of fold in space or, you know, wormhole type of idea that uh, photons of light are coming through and you're able to perceive them in a physical way or that in some sort of planar way that you you are projecting your self to a different place. Bending of space, honestly, doesn't... It, it makes sense. I feel like it doesn't... Ex- we see bending of space all of the time. It's, you know, it's, it's gravity. It's, it's speed. It's black holes. Like, like the bending of space is kind of common when it comes to that sort of thing. I think we I think we broke down all of them besides abjuration. We didn't really deep deep dive into that. Oh, yeah. Enchantment. Enchantment. That I think that has a lot of moral and uh, metaphysical problems. So these are going to be like your charm person spells and such. Probably command, command. Yeah. yeah. Animal friendship, hideous laughter. So I think you could put most of those into psychology, which isn't a hard science. How do you instantaneously persuade someone that you're friendly? And what are the <laughs> moral problems of doing that? Yeah, how do you manipulate minds? I mean, we, we don't understand how brains work on our side. Yeah, that's very true. There is reason we're like studying very simple creatures and their neural networks is because they're far simpler. And even those we have very limited understanding of how that works. And so trying to produce some sort of chemical effect. I mean, I suppose you it could be something like that, that you're triggering some sort of chemical effect inside the brain that's leading to... And dopamine and <laughs> yeah like fear flight or flight but I, I feel like the the enchantment smells are more nuanced than that so you're looking for something that's like a very specific response which i think is more challenging versus just like making someone afraid there's probably a chemical cocktail for that so yeah i mean i suppose i think there's a difference between someone that you've known for a very long time and you're very good friends with because you know you've grown neural pathways and grown all of these very physical connections in your brain that lead to memories and all these other things but you can also meet someone and just kind of talk to them and become close to them in a short period of time and i suppose you could somehow accelerate that what what does that actually look like it's 
probably you know, like hormonal response of dopamine and other such chemicals. But that would, you're still, you, <laughs> I feel like if that happened to you, if you suddenly had just like a huge dump of dopamine in your brain, right? You're going to feel that it's not going to be like, oh yeah, I'm having a great time. It's going to be like, what is going on? It's probably like taking drugs. I don't know. I yeah. don't have personal experience, but I feel like there. that's probably what taking drugs would feel like. So enchanters are just drug dealers. <laughs> uh, there you go, folks. It's not going to get better than that. Okay. Uh, this has been Science of D&D podcast. If you have suggestions of what we should talk about in the future, just send an email to scienceofdd at gmail.com and we'll take your suggestions. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Just come up with a good sign. Yeah, we need a catchphrase. Stay nerdy, nerds. (laughs)